Amen, amen. You can be seated this morning. Welcome, welcome. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. We're so happy that you're with us today. If it's your first time joining us, let me say welcome. We're just so honored to have you here this morning. We, we, we just feel so honored that you're with us. I hope that you've been made to feel welcome this morning. I hope that when you came into our, our auditorium and you saw that sign that said, Welcome Home, that you felt welcome home. We're just happy you're here. Uh, at the Gathering Church, we're just fixated on taking next steps. We want to walk with you down a simple pathway to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. And we want to do it together. And we believe that on the other side of that is greater satisfaction, greater purpose, more than we ever thought possible because of what God will do in our lives and what has already been done. So we're just honored that you're with us. When you came in the doors this morning, you were given a program, and inside that is a Connect card. And if you'll fill out a little bit of information, if it's your first Sunday, if you'll fill out a little bit of information on that Connect card, we, we just want to let you know a little more about us, let you know how you can get involved and, and give you the opportunity to connect with somebody. And if you'll fill out a little information on that card, we'd love to give you a free gift just for being with us this morning. We're just... We just want to say thank you for coming. Um, I got to tell you, we, we've got something that we're really excited about here, and that is our Gather students has shifted to Monday nights. Now, that means that we've got more room for our students. It means that we're able to give more attention to our students. It means we're able to focus on the experience that they have at Gather students more and more. Here's what it means for you. If you are between the 6th and the 12th grade, or if you have children who are between the 6th and the 12th grade, you've got to get yourself to gather students. It's Monday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. at Seacoast Asheville, and, uh, and it is a phenomenal time. you got to go. you got to get there. you got to get your kids there and get yourself there. Well, today we're starting a new series. It's a short one, just a two-week series called Give save, spend. Give, save, spend. We're going to talk about money. You know, at the gathering, we're a family. And that means sometimes we're going to talk about things that are even uncomfortable for families to talk about. And that, that means money sometimes. You know, we want to help you grow here. We, we want to help you grow in every area of your life. We want God to increase blessing in every area of your life. We want to be there to help disciple you in every area of your life. And sometimes that means your finances. We believe it's important for us to talk about it at the church. In, in, in the Bible, it, it mentions heaven 400 times because heaven's important. It's a big part of the story God is telling us. But in the Bible, it mentions money 2,000 times. We think we need to talk about it. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get right into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, God, and just the way you've called us to live, that, God, you've called us to a higher standard, that you have more for us than we ever thought possible, more than we've ever imagined for ourselves. And so, God, I just ask that this morning, as we talk about a sensitive subject, that, Lord, you'd prepare our hearts to receive your word that we might be blessed by it, that we might learn from it, and God, that we might grow as a result of it. We love you so much. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to do this two-part series, and here's what we're going to do. First, we're going to talk about the first part of this, which is give, because I want us to address, before we address the practical applications behind the way that we spend and save and, and budget our money before we get into some basic biblical principles to steward our money well, we need to talk about the spiritual side of things. See, I believe that this is a deeply spiritual issue, and that is where the giving comes into play, that the giving is the answer to the spiritual problem, and I believe there is a spiritual problem. I'll tell you what I mean. In America, uh, finances are one of the number one causes of stress in our culture. In fact, 
It's the number two cause of divorce every year, repeating over the last 24 years. In uh, the United States, we have collectively $712 billion worth of credit card debt. The majority of Americans only have about $25,000 saved for retirement, which is fantastic if you plan to retire in the year 1935. However, it won't cut it in the coming decades. Uh, All of this has led us to one place extreme financial anxiety, and it's an epidemic. Now, the Bible talks about money a lot because God knows that this is going to be one of the areas we hold closest to the chest. God knows that this is going to be one of the areas that controls our thoughts the most, that controls our actions the most, that leads us away from Him the most. And so as a church, I believe we've got a responsibility to address it. Now, I know that we can get a little bit uncomfortable talking about money at church, but here's what you need to know. There are times where we need to get uncomfortable so we can grow. In fact, I would say we rarely grow out of comfortable conversations, that it is the ones that we'd want to avoid that we often need to hear the most. In this series, I want to put forward that money doesn't have to be one of the controlling factors in our lives. I don't believe it has to be stressful. I don't believe it needs to have a controlling stake in our hearts. I believe there is a way to think about money and use money using biblical principles that will give us freedom from much of what leads us to this financial stress. So I want to talk about this practice that we live by, and that is to give, save, spend in that order, in that specific order. As we talk this week about give, we'll come back next week and we'll talk about the rest of it, the save and spend portion. But today I want to focus in on the spiritual thing behind money. Now, I'll tell you a story that I like to tell Anytime uh, we talk about money at the gathering church, if you've, if you've been around a while, you prepare your groans for hearing this one again. But if you're a new uh, person, you've been coming over the last year, um, then this might be a, a little background information on me that you wish you never had. When I was 19 years old, I joined the United States Coast Guard. That's no surprise. I can't start a story without saying that. Uh, But I got my first paycheck, my first salary paycheck. I had a job since I was 15, but it's different when it's hourly and you're living with mom and dad. You know how it is. And so this was my first salary paycheck, and it was $18,438 per year. I was very wealthy. And so naturally, I spent about twice that my first two years in the Coast Guard. And I'll tell you how I did it. This is my key as a 19-year-old to financial success. I got a credit card, and it had a $10,000 spending limit. And somehow, I don't know really how it all happened, magic, I would assume, it got connected to my bank account as overdraft protection. And so what that resulted in was a magic debit card. No matter how many times I swiped it, it always worked. I would just frivolously enjoy myself in this season of life. Sometimes I would go to the Red Lobster when it wasn't even Lobster Fest, okay? I I was just living life to the fullest. I I I was going out with my buddies, having great vacations, just doing anything that I could and spending my money. However, I bought a, I I didn't buy, I rented a waterfront apartment on the Tampa Bay, even though I was only home three months out of the year. And it was just a great season of my life, except a Eventually, that credit card ran out. Not a problem. I got another one. And then that one ran out. Not a problem. I got another one. And then that one ran out. And then there was a problem. They wouldn't give me any more. Immediately after that third credit card hit its limit, my payments went from $25 a month on each of these cards to $250 a month. I didn't know they could do that. It's written in the contract, which I never read. All of a sudden, I was broke beyond broke. Just my credit card bills were more than I was making each month. I had a real problem. 
I had, to, I had to make decisions like which bills I was going to pay at the end of each month. I had to figure out how I was going to eat. I, I, I would eat on the ship that I was stationed on in order to save money in that season. Except then all at one time, they took the uh, kitchen out of commission for about four weeks. And I had to figure out what to do during that time. And there was a moment in that season where uh, I had $7 left that I had found in coat pockets. And I had about a week left until payday. And I had to decide, am I going to buy ramen noodles in order to be able to eat until payday, or will I buy two packs of cigarettes? And my thoughts were, cigarettes are an appetite suppressant. This makes a lot of sense. I bought the cigarettes. It was a really stressful season of my life. I still have PTSD from hearing my phone ring that it's a bill collector coming to get me. I don't know about you, if you've ever had a season like this, probably you haven't had one so extreme, I hope not, but maybe you know what it feels like to just really be praying for payday, to be watching that bank account and realize it's a three-week pay period about one week too late. Or maybe you know what it feels like to just think, man, if I just had a little bit more, I would have so much less stress in my life. If I just had a little bit more, I would be able to enjoy life so much more. Maybe you know that feeling in your gut that is just this empty desire for a little bit more money. Now, here's the thing. I think we try to make smarter decisions about money or or even we try not to think about money too much. Or maybe the new year rolls around and you download a budgeting app and try to manage your money. But I think oftentimes we still find that that stress, that anxiety persists. And maybe you've never lived like me. Maybe you, you never had to go to your dad and sit down and say, hey dad, I'm super broke. Can you teach me what a budget is? Maybe you've never had that conversation. Maybe you've been frugal since you were 11 years old, like my beautiful wife. But maybe you still think about money too much. Maybe even though you're financially secure, you're always looking for the next level of security. Maybe you spend too much time counting and wondering if it's going to be enough for the future. Or maybe you just think, if I had a little bit more, I could make everybody feel just a little more comfortable. Or you're worried about how you're going to take that vacation that you've already said yes to, or, or the million other reasons that we allow stress to enter our lives as a result of our finances. I think here's, here's what I want to say about it today. <clears throat> Too often... We try to address what is a spiritual issue by natural means. I think too often we try to find best practices instead of trying to understand the root behind the problem. I think too often we get a self-help book to fix something that only the good book can. That's old school right there. Come on, somebody. I believe that financial stress, strain, that the constant Thinking about finances is not a material issue as much as it is a spiritual issue. Second uh, Corinthians chapter ten, verses three through five is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, and it says this: For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I think as followers of Jesus, we need to know when it's a spiritual battle. And we need to know that we don't need to just keep attacking this the way the world does because the world is stressed out about money. Because the world is constantly pursuing more. Because the world's solutions are not the same as God's solutions. We need to stop attacking a spiritual problem by natural means. So let's not think about money the way that the world does. It's time to put these financial strongholds in their place. 
I want to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that honestly, I can't teach about giving and I can't teach about money from Scriptures without talking about this. I think it's one of the most important teachings on Scripture out of the thousands in the Bible. It's in Luke chapter 16, verses 9 through 13. I'm going to do NKJV today, which is going to be fun, and I'll tell you why in a minute. It says, I say to you, make, this is Jesus talking, he says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when it fails, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Let me explain this for a second. King James can be a little bit tricky, but I chose this translation specifically because of that language, mammon. I want to talk about mammon this morning. You see, mammon is a transliteration. That means that when the writers were translating the Bible to English in the KJV, there was no word for this word mammon, so they brought the Greek word into the English Bible. Now, recent translations have just switched it to money. They've translated it as money because they decided that was the eventual meaning. But I think that there was a specific reason that Jesus chose the word mammon when he was addressing this issue. Mammon does not have an English word because mammon is a name. Mammon is the Babylonian god of riches. He came into the Middle East when Babylon conquered the Middle East in this time period we were talking about in the last series. And he was worshipped there well past the time of Jesus. Mammon had temples, he had idols, and the God of riches was a popular topic among many of the people living in that region at that time. I think Jesus chose to say mammon here instead of saying money or wealth on purpose. I think he wanted us to not just see the thing, money, but he wanted us to understand that there is a spirit behind the thing, that sometimes the things we treat as natural are supernatural. And I believe that Jesus wanted us to see mammon used in this context so that we would be able to understand there is a spirit behind this money problem that wishes us harm. In this opening sentence, Jesus is explaining a parable that he's just told of a shrewd manager who uses money for his own personal gain. And Jesus is explaining it by saying, take this thing that has an unrighteous spirit behind it, money, and use it in the name of righteousness. Use it to serve people and bless people. And then when your money inevitably fails because money has no loyalty, when it deserts you, when you have none left, If you've used it to serve others, you'll have someone to turn to when it's gone. He keeps going in verse 10. It says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? If you don't manage your money well, How can God trust you to manage things that really matter, like people, or like a calling, or like purpose? Verse 12, if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who is going to give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Everybody serves something. Whether you believe in all of this or not, it does not matter. We all serve something. Maybe it's money or success, pride. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's mammon. But we can only serve one master. And in this case, it is either God or the false god, mammon. We either submit our money to God or we submit our money to mammon. I fear Many of us have fallen victim to this false spirit, this false god, Mammon. I believe that we've, we've bought into all the lies he's been feeding our culture, that this spirit that we no longer talk about still has a place in our lives because we allow him to have a place in our lives. When I brought up money, there was a bit of a tension in the room. 
When I first spoke about it, when I, came, when I came up here and said, we're doing a series called Give, Save, Spend. Did you notice we never marketed it at all? We never put on the, some of you are like, maybe you came in here. Hey, what are we talking about today? Usually they tell us. I wonder why we chose not to tell you. There's a tension when we talk about money. I wonder why we get so tense over this specific area of our lives. Why do we think it's so important that we'll open up about almost anything else? But the last area that we are willing to allow someone to speak into is our finances. Why are we so secretive around it? Why are we so touchy around it? I believe it's because there is a spirit manipulating our hearts around our finances. Here's three lies that I believe mammon has has been leading our culture and thousands of cultures before us to believe. The first is this, if I get enough, I will feel secure. If I get enough, I will feel secure. Here's a truth I've discovered. It's groundbreaking. It's this. The more a person has, the more stuff a person has, the more stuff a person wants. Solomon, the great king of Israel, who was called the richest king who's ever lived, discovered this as well. In Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12, uh, he says this. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. And I feel this is one of those obvious teachings of Scripture. We know that money won't bring us happiness, but we still think we'll be less stressed if we just work a few more hours. Or we still think if we'll just get that promotion, if we just work a little bit more, if we give up a few more weekends... To get that promotion, our stress is going to melt away. Or we think if we just take those extra sales trips, if we just keep pursuing it, go harder, if we could just make sure that we're there before our coworkers and leave after they do, if we could just keep leaning in, our lives are going to get a lot easier. Solomon says, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. The truer word has never been spoken. So what good is wealth? except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Forbes did a study back in 2016 with five separate income groups in which they asked each of them how much money they they thought would be enough. How much of an income would they need in order to live the way they want to live? Out of every single category, they all answered with a number that was at least twice what they currently made. The people who made $45,000 a year said it was $90,000 a year. The people who made $100,000 a year said it was $200,000 a year. The people who made $1 million in annual revenue said it was $4.7 million. It only gets worse the more we have. It only amplifies and increases the more that we have. That comes from mammon. And it's time to slay that spirit. Sometimes we just need to learn what it looks like to remain content. To take inventory of what we have and discover that it's not our things or our stuff that will give us satisfaction. So we do not need to keep this pursuit of more, more, more. It's not bad to have stuff. It's bad when your stuff has you. Second lie is this. I am what I have. The spirit of mammon wants us to define ourselves based on what we have, on our possessions, on what we drive, on where we live, on what we wear, This is rampant in American culture. We even have a phrase for it, keeping up with the Joneses. We want to make sure that our socioeconomic level is keeping up with the other people in our lives. And so we define ourselves by it. The spirit of mammon tells us that our identity is in things like what kind of car we drive or what kind of clothes we wear or how big our house is or what trendy neighborhood it is in. And we believe this lie, and it leads us to make stupid decisions with our money. Like pile on debt to buy a new car because ours is older and all our friends tease us about it. 
or pile on debt to take a vacation because everyone else is on Instagram and it's our turn. Listen, you are not what you have. You are who God says you are. I am not what I drive. I am a child of the King. I am called. I am created. I have a purpose. I am His. I am not a collection of possessions. I am not going to be defined by the class that you place me in. I know who I am. I am who He says I am. The third lie is this. If I have more, I will be happy. If I have more, I will be happy. We got a saying about this one too. It's money can't buy you happiness. And everybody has heard it, but hardly anybody lives like they believe it. We let our financial stress drive us to this belief that if we can get ahead and get more, then we won't be stressed about it anymore and we'll finally be happy. So we pursue this false happiness with vigor. We sacrifice time with our kids to buy more stuff that won't make us happy. We work ourselves to the bone to get more money, to buy more things, to improve our station in life, thinking that's what's going to relieve us of this financial stress. That's what's going to bring us the peace that we so desperately desire. But the problem is not the natural physical aspect of money and provision. The problem is spiritual, and it's the way we think about this thing called money. It's the way we serve the unrighteous spirit of mammon instead of making him serve our purpose. So today, I want to encourage you to break the spirit of mammon's control over your life. That he doesn't have to control you anymore. You can decide to serve God and not mammon. To live your life out of abundance, not out of scarcity. And to live your life free of this financial burden that we are so often shackled with. There's two simple ways that I believe we can start that today. And then next week... We'll spend the whole message talking through the basic principles of margin and budget to live in abundance instead of scarcity. But today I want to talk about giving. We're going to talk about giving for a moment because I believe nothing resets the spiritual more than this. Here's why we think it's important to give first at the gathering church. I believe it resets our hearts to serve God, not mammon. So with that in mind, two things. First, we need to honor God with our generosity. Honor God. In fact, I would say we need to lead with generosity. Christians should be the most generous people on the planet. We should absolutely be, we need to be strategic and smart with our generosity, but our generosity needs to be consistent and a regular part of our lives. You need people in your life who you are willing to be a little uncomfortably generous for. You need to be there when people need you. You need to be prepared to show up in the time of need of the people in your community and outside your community. We need to be smart about it, but we need to be generous with our finances. We need to honor God with our generosity. We give generously because Matthew 6.21, one of the most powerful sentences in Scripture, says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. I don't want my heart to be with my bills. I don't want my heart to be with my car or my clothes or, or all my stuff. I want my heart to be with God and to be with people. So if we lead with generosity, our hearts will follow. And here's what I love about this verse. God is calling us to put what he considers treasure at the center of our hearts. He's talking about how, where we invest our money, where we put our money. But he also is helping us shift our understanding of treasure. Do you know what God considers treasure? It's not money. It's not gold. He paves the streets with gold. Gold is like asphalt to God. No, to God, the treasure is the people. It's the people. That's the treasure in heaven. It's people. 
It says that when we do this, that we will build up for ourselves treasures in heaven. I don't think you're going to get there and there's going to be a vault and you open it up and it's like Scrooge McDuck's where you can jump in and swim through gold. I don't think that was the intention. I think he wants you to understand that when you invest in people with your generosity, that the amount of people who are there will be greater. He wants us to understand that treasure is the people. And when we put generosity at the beginning, when we put giving first, when we invest first in people before money, before, before anything else, it resets our hearts to have a new definition of treasure. Acts 20 verse 35 in the message, it says, you'll likely not go wrong here if you keep remembering that our master said, you're far happier giving than getting. You will find joy in generosity once you learn to think right about it and stop serving the spirit of mammon. We want to honor God with our spending. And we're going to talk about that all next week. But I've got to tell you that in the very beginning, the first thing, when you get paid, the very first thing that you're thinking about doing should be giving. It's a spiritual thing. Deuteronomy says that the purpose of the tithe is to put God at the first place in our lives. Which brings me to the second thing that I think we need to do to reset our hearts and break the power of mammon over our lives. Return the tithe. Return the tithe. The tithe is a hot topic. It's a difficult subject. Everybody gets a little bit tense. We're trained in this culture to challenge the status quo, the way things have always been done, we stand up against it. It's the trademark of this current generation. And this is an area of the church that's been under constant scrutiny for good reason. Trust has been broken. We've all seen headlines of a church mismanaging its money and we wonder, can we trust them with it? Are we giving our finances to God or are we giving them to flawed men? And here's my answer to that. God has called us to return 10% of what we have over to Him. It's in the Bible over and over and over again, Old Testament and New Testament alike, we see it. And Jesus' plan to change the world is the local church. Not just a man or a stage or a band or a building or a service. I'm not talking about that. The local church is all of us using our gifts together to have greater impact in this city. It's all of us coming alongside one another to bring the message of Jesus into the hearts of people who desperately need it, the church. I believe that when we give our tithe to the church, we're giving to God, not to people. That when we give our 10% to the church, we give to meet spiritual needs. Now, physical needs are important. And if a church is managing the tithe well, they should be meeting both physical and spiritual needs. But what I think we need to understand is that at the root of, very, of many, many physical needs are spiritual needs. And the church's job is to step into our communities and meet spiritual needs in a way that nobody else can. To meet spiritual needs in a way that is tangible and felt and seen. And spiritual needs will always outweigh physical needs. When we come together and give our 10% to the church, the church has the opportunity to use it collectively to have a greater impact in the area of spiritual and physical needs than we ever could on our own. So I believe that is why we should give our tithe to the church. Now, I'm talking about this because I know people have questions about this. Here's the thing. I know that trust is hard to rebuild, but I believe this is so important that if you don't believe this is a place where you can trust to give in that way, that you find somewhere you can. I think the tithe is that important, not just for the church, but for us. I believe it makes just as big of a difference in our hearts as it does in our communities. Now, I will tell you that the financial principles we teach here 
are the ones we live by. I think it's a place you can trust. You don't have to take my word for it. But at the gathering, with our overall budget, we operate on a give, save, spend mentality. Uh, First, we give 10% of everything that comes in to missions. Everything. Uh, Right now, that's to church planning, both locally and nationally and globally. And then to global missions partners. Last year, we gave almost $40,000 away to missions. That is very rare for a young church. But we believe in the tithe. Deeply, it is in our core. We do that. We 10% and then we save and then we spend. Everyone on our staff is required to live this way as well. As well as people that walk up into higher positions of leadership. We require you to live in a give, save, spend. We tithe. We save. We spend. What I'm going to teach next week is this idea of living on 80%. Don't worry. Don't stress about that today. That's next week's problem, okay? But I believe that that is the way that the Bible teaches us to live. And when we do this, it doesn't just benefit who we give to, it benefits us. Listen to me. This is the way my family lives. I'm telling you this because I feel like I need to, because it's changed my life. It's blessed me. It's changed the lives of the staff members in our church. They would each testify outside of being here and in this experience that it is important to them. And I cannot grow you in other areas of your life and not make an attempt to grow you here. I cannot say that I want to disciple you and bring you closer to Jesus and help you grow and know what it's like to follow him and experience the blessing that comes from following him completely if I do not talk to you about an area that is so deeply and personally important for me. And it has been for a long time. Now, I've only been in full-time ministry for three years. It's probably, maybe, maybe that's obvious. Maybe it's a shock. I don't know. But that means that until three years ago, I still believed this, I lived this way, and I thought it was just as important as I do now. I just want you to know that because you need to know that we don't think this is is going to impact, we're not teaching you this because of the way it's going to impact us. I'm teaching you this because of the way I believe it will impact you, that we will grow as a result of this. When we learn to give, save, spend, I'll go on a little bit more about the tithe. Don't worry. It'll end soon. Some people argue that the tithe is a part of the law that was fulfilled when Jesus came. A lot of people. That in the same way we can eat pork now, we're also not held to the 10% anymore. I don't think that's the case. And here's why. Scripturally speaking, the tithe precedes the law. So the law was given to mankind through Moses about... 3,500 to 4,000 years ago, but the tithe first shows up in Genesis 1,000 years before that. The idea of giving first, the first fruits of everything that we have, come from the first sons of Adam. It has always been this way. Sacrifice like this has been an important part of setting our hearts spiritually since the beginning of man's relationship with God. The tithe is confirmed in the New Testament, both by Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 and by Paul when he talks about percentage giving in 1 Corinthians 16.2. But this is my favorite passage that teaches about it. It's Malachi. He was one of the prophets, one of the last prophets before Jesus came. And in chapter 3, verse 6, it says this, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. But bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop the fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then all of the nations, all of the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. It's the only time in the whole breadth of Scripture 
that God dares you to test him. That he says, just try me out. Just see what happens. Just do it a little bit. Just return the tithe and see if I don't bless every area of your life as a result of it. Now hear me say this, church. This is not a prosperity gospel. I'm not telling you that when you return the tithe, all of a sudden you'll have more money in your bank account. In fact, it's the opposite. What happens is when you give 10%, you have 10% less money in your bank account. Is the way it works. I'm very sorry if that was news to you. No, I don't think that's the kind of blessing God is talking about. Maybe sometimes, but I, don't, I think if it does, it's the exception and not the rule. If you give us $10, you will not get $500 in return. I'm just telling you. I believe the blessings that God is telling you you will receive are far more important, are far better, are far greater than anything financial. I think it's a spiritual blessing. I think instead of serving this spirit mammon who has had control over your life for most of your life, you will be serving the one who offers freedom and peace and satisfaction and joy and purpose. That instead of allowing money to control us in the way that we allow it to, if we can learn to give first, to say, God, this is from you and now it is yours again. Lord, we give you this. We trust you to live with the rest. It will reset our hearts in a way that will immediately result in blessing. Blessing. Blessing in the form of people now who are hearing about the word of Jesus in a new way because of the way we sow into the church. Blessing in the form of our own satisfaction and peace that will come when we discover our purpose and start to grow closer to God in every area, even the areas that we typically don't like to release. I'm just telling you. The blessings that he is preparing for you are greater than anything you are thinking of in this moment. The blessings I've lived out in my life and experienced and am still experiencing as a result of living this way are greater than financial blessings. It's bigger than that. You've got to have a bigger picture than that. We've got to return the tithe. I've never spent money on the church. You've got to understand I've sown it. I've sown it into the eternity of others, into the spiritual health of others. I've given out of obedience so that God can do in somebody else's life what he's already done in mine. Let me invite you to do the same. Now, here's my suggestion. I know this is a lot to process. I've had many conversations about this in my office where their faces look much like yours do right now. You may not realize this. I can see your faces. In the old auditorium, I could not. It was too dark. These lights, I can see you. It's not a television. I'm looking at you right now. That's right. I can see the tension. I can see the anger in some of your eyes, the frustration. I can feel the eyes rolling. I know it. And I've had this conversation. It's a lot better one-on-one, -on -one, believe me. It's, I'm kidding. It's a hundred times worse. Imagine all of this intensity focused directly on you. It's horrible. And I've had this conversation in my office while discipling people because at the gathering, we don't want you to just go to church. We want to grow you closer to Jesus. And so discipling people means leading every area of their life closer to who God called them to be, created them to be. And so we'll talk about things like growing in prayer and, and what it means to have a healthy prayer life, how we hear from God, and growing in scripture study. And man, that, that's hard stuff to get into. And I, but some, for some reason, the reaction on people's faces when you talk about getting in a daily prayer habit is very different than the facial expression when you talk about giving 10%. Very different. I wonder why that is. See, I think it's because we value our money more than we value our time. I think it's because we value our money more than we value our energy. I think it's because it takes a position in our hearts of great prominence. But the Bible's called us to grow in every area. I think sometimes we want 100% of the blessing of God, but we're willing to offer back 50% of obedience to God. We're okay with the Bible reading. We're okay with getting on the dream team. But please, don't be talking about my money. God wants to talk about your money. 2,000 times in Scripture, He does so. 
And I think sometimes we've got to learn when we're being stubborn because it's too personal. I know that for some, we're going to have to apply the principles of good stewardship and money management that we're going to discuss next week before giving is even really an option. And that can even take some time. We can, we can look ahead and say that's a place we need to get, but we're not there yet. So I usually suggest instead of going from nothing to tithing or even beyond tithing, that we just take a step. Let me show you something called the giving ladder. Just a ladder, just a simple graphic to help you visualize. And when you look at this, you can find yourself somewhere on one of these rungs on this ladder. Somewhere is you. Here's the challenge I would give you to start putting God in the first position of every area of your life, including your finances. Wherever you are, make it a goal to take one step up. Just one step up. If you're not giving, commit to giving occasionally. Just, just, just open your, your mind to the idea of generosity. If it's new to you, you you've, you've all, your money's always been for you. There's so many reasons we get that way. Many of them are okay. You grew up without much. And now that you're starting to earn, it, it's hard to think about letting it go. Whatever the reason. Open yourself up to the idea of giving. Of giving. Start to identify someone in your life that it might not, might not be the worst thing to show some generosity to. Somebody in a hard season that you could show up for. Start to give to the church, just a little bit at a time. Give occasionally. Go from nothing to something, and you'll start to see a shift. You'll start to see a movement in your heart. You'll start to see the, the meter tick a little bit. If you've been giving occasionally, let me encourage you to start giving intentionally. That means regularly, consistently, an amount that you're giving every month, and put it first. Make sure it's the first part of your budget. I think that the, uh, in the Bible, over and over again, we see that order is important. Order matters. God wants to be first, not last. He doesn't want the drippings at the end. He wants what is good at the beginning. So give intentionally off the top. Well, however much that looks like, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just make it intentional. Go from occasionally dropping five bucks to start to give an amount every month that you write into your budget. Start to intentionally give to people around you, to show generosity to people that need it. Make it intentional and make it first. If you're giving intentionally, I would encourage you to start to consider giving proportionally. This is the biblical tithe. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 16 too. He says, give in keeping with your income a predecided amount. In other words, it's about equal sacrifice, not equal giving. See, for some people, giving 10%, giving a proportion, giving a percentage. For some people, that's not going to be, it's going to be 100 bucks a month. And for some people, it's going to be a lot more than that. But the amount does not matter. It's the sacrifice. It's the position in our hearts. It's about equal sacrifice, about saying, God, this area right here, you, you've blessed me with everything that I have. Everything that I have comes from you. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And so I'm going to give this 10% back to you. I'm going to return it. That's why we use the phrase, return the tithe. And then I've got this whole 90%. See what happens in your heart. Find out. What it, will, what it will look like for you. The position that money starts to take and the position that God starts to take. If you start to return that tithe off the top, if you've been faithful and you've been giving proportionately every month, let me challenge you to start to give radically. See, I think Jesus, what, what he did when he came in and started teaching on the law was he didn't obliterate things or wipe things away. He amplified them. He took it up a notch. He said, it's not an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth anymore. I'm telling you to love your enemies. He said, everything a little bit more. He calls us to give radically. Kick it up a percentage. Or maybe it's time to set aside a line item in your budget uh, that you use to bless people with, to care for others with, to show up 
for people, that you're just always on the lookout for somebody in need so you can just show up with some generosity. I would just encourage you, wherever you find yourself, take a step up and test God in this. Test him. See if he does not open wide the floodgates of heaven and let so much blessing begin to enter your life that you forget what it felt like to live under this strain and stress of finances. You forget what it felt like to be a slave to mammon, always looking ahead, trying to figure it out. You, you got to stop giving so much real estate of your heart to such a, a thing that will fail you, that will abandon you, that will leave you with nothing. It's time to give 100% of the real estate in our hearts back to the one who made them. I'm just telling you, Something changes. God hasn't called us to follow him a little bit. He hasn't called us to give him 50%. He has said, give me everything and I will return the favor. He has said, follow me and leave everything behind. And instead, you'll find a life of greater satisfaction and peace and joy than anything you could have ever cooked up on your own. It's time we trust him with every part of our lives. And it's just has an impact that you can't even imagine that ripples out. If everybody in our church just took one step up on this giving ladder, our ability to impact this community and the world around us would also grow. We'd be able to come alongside and significantly partner with a new church plant to say, hey, I want to do for you what was done for us. And we just want to, we just want to be, be yours. We want to be with you. We want to sponsor you in this. We'd be able to increase our global partnerships to make a greater impact. I, I see a day where we go, are going not just into places, uh, but not just into one place, but into multiple places that have no other opportunity to hear about Jesus. Then we can say, we can change that. Together we can. Together we can make a difference. There's so many needs right here in our city, in our community, that we could meet together. There are so many people in such desperate need of hope and life and the message of Jesus that we could bring it to with just a simple step. But if we do that also, something even, something else would happen in each one of us. The spirit of mammon, the spirit of money that seats itself in this prominent position in our hearts would begin to sink lower and lower and lower until the day comes where we get to stand up and say, Mammon, in Jesus' name, you have no power here. You have no position here. You have no authority in my life. You have no authority over me. I've submitted 100% of this, of this area of my life to God. It is His. It is not yours. You won't, you won't bring the stress into my heart anymore. You won't bring the pain into my heart anymore. You won't bring the fear into my heart anymore. I give all of it over to the one who has saved me and rescued me. And when we can do that, church, we will see a change bigger than all we've ever imagined. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are and what you've called us to, God. The completeness of what you've called us to. That, Lord, there is more for us. More than what we're experiencing. More than what we're seeing. More than what we've imagined. That, God, you've called us to it. You've saved us for it. So, Lord, we just surrender ourselves to you. Lord, every, any area that we're holding back, whatever it might be, maybe it's not money, maybe it's time, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's our trust, Father, whatever it is, God, we just, we trust you in it, Lord. We love you. We worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.